Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, episode number 163, a.k.a. the final episode of the 2022-2023 NFL season, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. We're going to break down Super Bowl 57. I hope you all had a great time. We're not going to go in-depth on the halftime show or the commercials, though, I mean, the commercials could have been better, if we're being honest. But uh, we're going to jump straight into that. We'll shift into off-season mode. If you're new around here, I'll describe to you how that's going to work. If you've been around, thanks for sticking around, and hopefully you'll enjoy the next 45 minutes to an hour of NFL discussion. Analysis might be a little strong. But either way, let's jump right in to my standout seven. But realistically, I mean, there was one game, folks, and we're preparing for the off-season. Let's just go straight into the Super Bowl. Now, the big takeaways. Am I going to tell you that the Philadelphia Eagles were robbed? No. If you're here to hear me say that, that is not going to happen. Um, The fact of the matter is, Bradbury, formerly of the Giants, now of the Philadelphia Eagles, or at least he was, we'll see how that works out in this offseason, admitted after the fact that he did, in fact, hold on that play. Do I like the Super Bowl being decided by a penalty? No. However... I do not like big games being decided by players stretching the rules. And I think Bradbury recognized and openly acknowledged the fact that he did just that. He was hoping that the pressure of the moment, the weight of the moment, would force the official into not making a call. And uh, is that really how you want the season decided? I mean, I remember way back when, when LeBron was in Miami and they were playing the Thunder in the finals. I believe it was game one or game two. I think it was game two. Uh, Kevin Durant got fouled on a game-tying or go-ahead shot attempt last 30 seconds, last minute, and uh, they swallowed the whistle. That really wasn't fun for anyone involved, I imagine, unless you're rooting for the Heat. So, with that takeaway, I'm not here to give you the copium, you know what I mean? I'm not going to soothe you and give you pats on the back and tell you get them next year. You might. Fact of the matter is the Philadelphia Eagles are a tremendous team, even having lost both of their coordinators, and we'll get into that in a minute, but this was a game that they played so well, and they still wind up losing, and that's got to be tremendously painful. You consider the fact that early fumble, early being in the first half by Jalen Hurts, in which he looked like he was just moving the ball to the other arm, it gets away, and then on top of fumbling it, he kicks the ball, Nick Bolton scoops that one up, runs it back all the way. Shout out to Nick Bolton, who almost became the MVP. That later play, I believe, was Miles Sanders with the catch, pop, and then another fumble recovery. If he would have had two fumble return touchdowns in the Super Bowl, I mean, you're talking in terms of defensive performances like, what, Von Miller, the James Harrison play against Arizona, Nick Bolton would be all over this victory. And he still was. He played pretty well. Uh, Played pretty darn well, I should say. Not trying to undercut his uh, performance, but two touchdowns would have been tremendous. Fact of the matter is, whatever they gave Patrick Mahomes at halftime, I know I've seen all the jokes floating around between Advil and ketamine and whatever, this, that, and the third. Um, He went from writhing in pain to electric, right? He looked like Patrick Mahomes. And the fact of the matter is, people were saying, you know, oh, well, the Chiefs defense, they had to come out of halftime. They couldn't get a stop. Yeah, neither could Philly. Let's be realistic here. Philly's defense made one stop the entire game. The other one was a missed field goal, right? 
let, let's be let's be honest here. Kansas City's defense comes out of halftime, and well, they had their stop in the bank. They didn't use it yet. Another ten point deficit in the Super Bowl for Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Steve Spagnola, and another Super Bowl victory. It's pretty impressive if we're being completely honest. Um, additionally, considering how young Patrick Mahomes is, third Super Bowl here, overcoming adversity in two of them, the third one was just too much with the Tampa Bay pass rush that we discussed. I talked about going into this game, I thought that the Philly pass rush would be too much, just like that other game. On paper, in terms of productivity, this Philly pass rush was everything and more compared to that Tampa Bay team, and they did not show up. Are we going to blame the grass? I, I don't believe I've heard that come up from any of the players on the team. The, the turf was awful. Um, we've heard over and over and over about artificial turfs and how it's bad for your knees, it's bad for this, it's bad for that, causes injuries, and that all may be true. I'm far from a doctor, I'm far from an expert on running on turf versus natural grass. But the fact of the matter is, this was natural grass, and players were slipping left and right in the Super Bowl to the point that the broadcast acknowledged it multiple times, which is kind of a sore spot. Like, we got a great game, so it doesn't take away from it, but if this game was like 16-13 because everyone's slipping and falling in perfect weather, it, it would have been rough. Positive takeaways from Philly. Jalen Hurts is that guy, right? And I'll be the first to tell you I was wrong. A few years ago, I was saying, eh, you know, Jalen Hurts, I'm not sold on him. 300 yards in the Super Bowl. He was their leading rusher. He had four touchdowns. The fumble, not great. Not great, if we're being completely honest. But uh, Devontae Smith looked great. A.J. Brown, obviously, with a big touchdown that I thought the Chiefs player could have made a play. I think it was number 21. Let me... me, uh, I don't want to call him out wrongly here. Trent McDuffie. I thought he could have made a play on that one, but neither here nor there. Um, if you're the Eagles, you just got to tip your cap to the Chiefs and... Honestly, I really don't think you can get all in your feelings about the penalty when it was a penalty. It's not like it was a phantom call here, folks. It's really not. It's it's not the uh, the offsides penalty that the Chiefs had called against them when they were playing Tom Brady, right? When he was still in New England, and you're like, oh, but he's uh, no, it was it was you know you can be mad about the call, but it was the right call. It's unfortunate. It's untimely. It's like balking in Game 5, Game 6, Game 7 of the World Series. You can do it. It's it's the phantom timeout call way back when from, I believe it was Chris Webber. Like, you don't want it to happen. Don't make that call. Well, it's it's the right call. Um, if we're going blow by blow here, and I won't, I'll spare you that, because honestly, it's been a week since the game. I'm sure you've heard it up, down, and sideways. And if you're a fan of these teams, you've thought about it up, down, and sideways. A couple of takeaways... Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, who since moved on, and we'll talk about that, with the patience to have Sky Moore as a decoy in this offense so frequently throughout the season, and it's and I'm not trying to be that guy because I'm the New York guy, but it reminded me of when I saw Minnesota and the Giants, and I saw Brian Dayball out there, and they had Matt Breida on the field fairly frequently, and during the regular season, Breida would get his fair share of touches. Postseason time came, Brita was a decoy. They waited all season. They they had him. He was used to the plays. He knew the plays, knew the schemes. He was a decoy for the bulk of that game because he's the backup running back. During the year, he was the change of pace, sure, and this, that, and the third. But when it mattered, you go where your bread is buttered. Andy Reid did almost a little bit of the opposite. 
they bust out the talented young Sky Moore in one of the biggest situations, right? Similar to busting out Kadarius Tony, right? Speaking of former Giants, I'm sure New Yorkers loved seeing Bradbury on one side and then Tony on the other. I'm sure that went very well. Um, yeah, it's always the lesser-known guys that make the plays that really decide some of these big games. And Sky Moore, big touchdown. Kadarius Tony, big touchdown as well. I thought that was tremendous scheming, and that was weeks in that that was, uh, whatchamacallit, put into place, I should say, and executed, if we're being completely honest. I'd say this. One thing that stuck out to me late in this game was Patrick Mahomes kneeling it down. Obviously, Jarek McKinnon, tremendous play, not scoring. We all remember Ahmad Bradshaw scoring when he wasn't supposed to. It'd be like that, right? Um, Patrick Mahomes not kind of forcing the Philly defense to try and come for him and just taking the knee and being safe about it because they really could have run this one all the way down. And I think that was a little bit of an oversight, but he was playing it safe. I mean, he's on a bum ankle and whatever they gave him at halftime. He's trying to be smart about it. I get it. Um, I think could have cost them. Didn't wind up costing them. We can talk about the decision to squib kick. It wound up being smart, right? There was damn near no kick returns the entire night, if not no kick returns the entire night. Shout out to the league, completely taking one of the most exciting plays in football out of the biggest football game of the season. Um, I understand injuries, this, that, and the third, but as a fan, it's exciting, right? Everybody remembers Devin Hester in the Super Bowl. Everybody remembers big plays like that in special teams. And in fairness, we did get a huge play on the special teams front from Kadarius Toney, the biggest punt return, longest I should say, in Super Bowl history. Kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. Um, yeah, the Hail Mary... Steve Spagnolo being Steve Spagnolo and not just throwing everyone back there to defend random Chiefs players rushing in. Hurts kind of lofting a duck. I mean, he was rocking a hard place. He didn't really have anywhere to go with that. I can't blame him. Um, yeah. Congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs and a sincere apology, right? You knew this was coming. We saw post game Travis Kelsey talking about uh, what you would call it talking about wow that's the phrase of the week sorry late sunday night episode long weekend to work uh tried to get this earlier in the weekend but i figure season's over a little bit more lax with the scheduling anyway travis kelsey discussing the fact that teams are the team was being written off because of the trade of tyreek hill and i was one of the people that did that if you remember my afc preview at the beginning of the season i was saying that i wasn't sure how the Kansas City Chiefs would compete in this division. I wasn't a big Denver Bronco guy like a lot of people. I was a big Charger guy. I thought the Raiders would be good. Well, turns out sometimes the simplest answer is the answer, and the Kansas City Chiefs found a way to pull it out yet again. Congratulations to them. I'm sure they'll be back. I'm sure the Eagles will be back as well. Uh, right now, I'm sure they're crafting a giant contract for one Jalen Hurts, and he's earned every penny. Speaking of big QB contracts, let's move on to number two in the standout seven. Let's talk about some QB news. We're not going to fill up the standout seven this week. I got them pretty much organized, right? I could have stretched it out and said, oh, free aging QBs, aging Q. Nah, we'll just go QBs. We'll go coaches. 
We'll touch on some XFL stuff. Maybe we'll do some free agency. And then I'll get you going into the offseason. QB news. Rumors abound that Lamar Jackson may be on the trade market and that the New York Jets might be interested. Um, What is there to say about this? If Lamar Jackson is available, any team that needs a quarterback should be interested. That includes the Green Bay Packers. That includes the Raiders, who have newly released um, Derek Carr, obviously. That includes even the New York Giants, who are in the market for a quarterback, right? Everyone should be interested in Lamar Jackson. Tampa Bay included as well. Lamar Jackson is a hot commodity. Granted, the timing is not great, right? This season, he missed the biggest games of the year again. Second year in a row. He is a former MVP. He still has explosive athleticism. He still has room to develop and grow as a passer, though he is, for my money, an above-average quarterback in the pocket, passing the football, right? I do think some quarterbacks get the excuse of not having the weaponry around them, and some quarterbacks don't. I think Lamar gets the excuse. He is an elite quarterback when you include his athleticism. We have no reason to think. This isn't a Robert Griffin third situation, right? where all of a sudden he's not going to want to run the ball. Um, He's going to be elite. If I'm the New York Jets, I have to be interested, right? I have to be, and realistically, you can make the argument that if you put Lamar Jackson on the New York Jets, they would be not only a playoff team this past season and this upcoming season, but you can make the argument they can compete with Buffalo off the rip. Now, that's a big statement. I recognize that. But you also got to understand that this Jets team just had a tremendous draft, right? I'm not saying they're going to duplicate it, but the concept that this new front office and coaching staff seems to evaluate talent fairly well, not including Zach Wilson. So if you can plug and play with a QB like a Lamar Jackson, it's really hard for me to imagine that's not the way to go, right? Either way. Let's keep it on the quarterback train. And I won't go into situations that fit for Lamar Jackson. They all work. He's Lamar Jackson. You make it work. Teams that fit for Derek Carr, newly released, and he was in New York, New Jersey recently, right? Let's first take a look at teams with the lowest passing yards in the league. This is by team. Chicago Bears, you assume they're not in the market for a QB, though these rumors are are swirling that they may be trading Justin Fields. Um, I don't know what the motivation would be. I I recognize that they are high up in the draft. They are number one, thanks to um, Lovey Smith doing the damn thing and winning on his way out the door in Houston. Another favor for the Chicago faithful, but I don't really see that as, as a way to go, especially for a car Derek Carr wouldn't be that guy. If they could somehow swing it into Lamar Jackson in a huge contract, sure, go for it. But I I don't see that working. And you're going to start over with a Bryce Young if you draft him. I don't know. I don't know about that one. Atlanta? I could see it. I don't know if they're ready yet, though. I mean, they were close this year to winning their bad division, but I don't know if they're ready to be a playoff team. I don't know if they're ready to say Desmond Ritter is or isn't the guy. I don't think we saw enough of him, if we're being completely honest. Um, so I don't know if Carr would be a fit there. You look at Baltimore. Obviously, if Baltimore's going to move on from Lamar, they need someone to replace him, but that would be the long game. 
Tennessee, I believe Ryan Tannehill is a free agent, right? I can double check that. I've been hearing that. His name floated around over and over. If Tannehill's off the Titans, then you have some situations. I mean, if Justin Fields is on the market, that would be a spot that fits, in my opinion, right? Him and Derrick Henry, who's going to stop that running game? But, yeah. I don't know. Derek Carr could slide in if Aaron Rodgers is dealt to Vegas, which seems to be a popular take, right? That Devontae Adams really wants him there. They just paid Devontae Adams. You're built to win now. It's cheaper to get Garoppolo, sure, but you could go get Aaron Rodgers and almost certainly be a better team for it. What's the price going to be? We'll see. Um, Yeah, if he winds up there, who knows? Maybe... Carr moves into a Green Bay spot. I doubt it, because they seem to like Jordan Love. I would say for whatever reason, but they know him in-house. He's been there for so long at this point. I guess they really have expectations for him, though he hasn't been on the field yet. You look at somewhere like Washington. I always plug them into these conversations, right? They're saying Sam Howell's the guy moving forward. We didn't see a lot out of Sam. I liked what he showed late in the year, but it's one game. I like Taylor Heineke. If he's going to walk, why not throw a veteran in there and see what happens? It's not going to be Wentz, I could tell you that much. A team like Pittsburgh, as I meander around this lowest passing yardage slash touchdowns list here in no particular order, a team like Pittsburgh, I think they're committed to at least a year-ish of Kenny Pickett, right? We saw him come in. We saw them have a little bit of a run, give him a full year, see how it goes. New England could be spicy, right? There was the rumor that, hey, would Brady go back to New England? And he quickly canned that one. If they're really moving on from Mac Jones, I could see Mac Jones getting dealt to one of these teams that's, oh, you know, just come sit on the bench. Let him go sit on the pine with the L.A. Rams with an aging Matthew Stafford and pick his brain, right? Unless Baker Mayfield's comfortable there and winds up the backup, that is. It's very complicated, I should say. But Derek Carr, I think, will have a better season next year. I don't think he's over the hill. Uh, The interception, the league-leading interceptions until he was benched is quite the deterrent for my confidence, but I do think the talent's still there, and if it's the right team around him, I think he could lead a team to the playoffs and maybe make a run. We mentioned Aaron Rodgers a handful of times here. He was on a vision quest of sorts, I believe. Not trying to mock him, but... That's what it is, if we're being completely frank. Um, where does Aaron want to go? I don't know. Does Aaron want to play? I don't know. That's the best I got. I've said before, I don't know if I've said it on the show, the New York Jets, the fan base, seems to be interested in Aaron Rodgers for obvious reasons. How about the fact that the head coach of the Packers, his brother, worked for you guys and then was relieved of his duties? I don't tend to think that would make him want to suggest to the front office that Rodgers should certainly go to the Jets, but if you put together enough of a package, anything can get done, right? That's where we are. And then on Daniel Jones, an interesting one here, lumping him in with the crowd. Um, Jordan Ronan saying that Daniel Jones is in the process of making an agent change. With a new contract and free agency on the horizon, he was represented by CAA. Expectation is he'll be joining athletes first. Not sure how much impact it will have, but it's at least interesting. Saw at least one other reporter acknowledging the fact that the franchise tag is becoming more of a realistic possibility. 
that's just kind of the way it is, right? That's just kind of the way it is. Unfortunate for the New York Giants if they have to use the franchise tag as they're currently negotiating with their starting running back as well, though they were able to secure Isaiah Hodgins, as we said before. It's a weird spot. They'll find a way to figure it out. And if they have to let one walk, you know it's going to be the running back, right? It's going to be Barkley, and he'll wind up somewhere, and he'll put up crazy numbers. That's just the way it goes, because you need to keep the QB if you're sold on him. And for all intents and purposes, I have no reason to believe the Giants are in the mood to move on from Daniel Jones. Number three in the standout seven, let's go to a coaching angle here. Uh, We discussed previously or mentioned that the Eagles coaching staff was already getting picked to bits by the Vultures. What did I mean by that? Well, Shane Steichen, their former offensive coordinator, is now the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, and Coach Gannon, their D coordinator, no no relation to the former quarterback MVP, uh, is now the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Additionally, I wanted to throw this in there because I thought this was interesting, and I don't believe I mentioned it last time, Vic Fangio signed a two-week deal with Philly prior to the Super Bowl to be a, a bit of an analyst or an assistant and really help them prepare for the big game. And I think that's really interesting. I think that's something that if it's available, if it's an opportunity for some of these aging coaches or some of these coaches that are, you know, unemployed, right? They're available and a chance to go get a ring and say you played a role in a team's victory in the Super Bowl. At the end of the day, that is the goal, right? You want to win a championship. It's fun to make the money along the way. Unfortunately for Vic, it didn't work out. He wound up down in Miami, obviously. But either way, let's talk Eric Bieniemy because I think this is a fascinating one. Eric Bieniemy moving to the Washington foot, excuse me, the Washington name redacted, I mean Commanders squad, and he's going to be an assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator, offensive leader, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think this is a weird move. I can understand it, though. It appears from where we stand now that Eric Bieniemy staying in Kansas City meant that he was not going to get credit for the offensive output that the team had, right? And I'm not saying this is good, bad, or otherwise. The fact of the matter is the... Kansas City Chiefs has a Hall of Fame head coach who's offensive-minded. They have a quarterback who's on a Hall of Fame trajectory immediately, five-ish years in, right? They have a tight end who is going to go down as one of the greatest tight ends of all time. They had Tyreek Hill, who will quite possibly go down as one of the best deep threats in the history of the game. They have a stable of players that come through here and there that are just multi-talented and athletic. You look at Sky Moore, as I mentioned, being a decoy all year. You look at Kadarius Toney, a midseason acquisition. You look at Jarek McKinnon, who I'm high on. The fact of the matter is there's so much talent there, he's never going to get the credit he deserves. And he realizes at this point, if I want to be a head coach in this league, I need to move somewhere where I can say I made that impact. I made that difference. I made this offense click. I took us to the postseason, or at least close Give me a chance to be a leader of men. Be the head coach. I can do it. And I can respect that. I really can. If his career goal is to be a head coach in the NFL, then this was the right move. 
I would not debate that. However, as someone who has realistically shifted his career goals due in large part to the pandemic and things relating to that, right? At the end of the day, I'm fairly sure there was reports last year that there was a, a schism between him and Mahomes, between him and Reed. Look what just happened, folks. They just won the Super Bowl. I mean, right, wrong, or sideways, they pulled it together when it mattered most, and they won the biggest game of the year, right? And their offense played a large role in that, coming alive in the second half. So, could he have quite possibly stayed in Kansas City, a la what Josh McDaniels was kind of doing in New England for a while there, trying to be the Belichick successor? Could he see himself as the Andy Reid successor? Maybe he didn't want to wait out the clock. Maybe he felt that the organization wouldn't see him that way. I'm not certain. All that I know is leaving a situation where you're playing with, or sorry, coaching one of the best quarterbacks. When it's all said and done, I would say someone who's going to be considered one of the best quarterbacks of all time, someone who is the one of the best tight ends of all time, getting to work with Andy Reid and continue to pick his brain and yada, yada, yada. It's a hard situation to leave. But if you're given the opportunity to chase your dream, sometimes you got to do it. And I applaud Eric Bieniemy for taking the chance. I hope it works out for him. Quite honestly, I'm not certain that it will. I was one of the people saying that Riverboat Ron would be one of the guys kind of on the hot seat. Fortunately for him and Eric Bieniemy, I would say, um, that was not the case. But would it shock me if he's on the hot seat next year? No. And that would really kind of complicate things, unless Andy Reid... You know, a little wink-wink, nudge-nudge. If it doesn't work out, you can always come back, right? We saw Steve Spagnuolo leave the New York Giants coaching staff, go try and be a head coach. Didn't work out great in, uh, I believe it was still St. Louis at that time. Didn't work out tremendous, but came back, coached him up again. There you go. And uh, now he's just in that role in Kansas City where he's going to be the D coordinator for further notice, I would I would say. So congrats to the enemy. Intriguing move. Let's see how it works out for him. Uh, bold move, Cotton, as they might say. Let's take a look here. Number four in the standout seven. I want to take a look at some XFL rosters. I don't know if you guys are interested in the XFL. It was on this weekend. I did not watch a single snap. I will be completely, brutally honest with you. Um, let's take a look at some recognizable names, of which there are some. Kyle Slater, QB of the Arlington Renegades. I believe he had some NFL reps at some point. Jordan Smallwood. I believe he's related potentially to another Smallwood that was in the NFL. Not the most common name. Not the name you want, if we're being frank. Um, let's see what else we got here. Darnell Sankey, I believe. We had a Bishop Sankey in the NFL. Marquette King punting for that squad. Former Raider punter. Um, we've got Eric Dungy, Q being the DC Defenders. Don't believe there's a relation there. Jordan Ta'amu, formerly of Mississippi. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, this gimmick, this sounded more interesting than when I sat down to look at these rosters, if I'm being frank with you folks. Um, Cole McDonald of Hawaii. Like, it, it's it's neat to see some, some names that we know. I know AJ McCarron was out there. Mm. I'll say this. The XFL, and we've talked about the XFL before, by the way. It's been a minute. The XFL is an interesting concept because as we stand right now, 
the NFL doesn't have a minor league. The college ranks are the de facto minor league for the NFL, right? It's a weird situation where the SEC is like the triple A, if we're using the baseball analogy, and the Big Ten and some of these other conferences are double A and single A and so on, and mid-majors are probably single A and yada, yada, yada. But there is no NFL Europa where somebody can get the chance to do it, so the USFL and the XFL are the best we got, right? So let's see what happens. Is it going to be a ratings bonanza? Probably not, because I don't believe the NBA G League is a ratings bonanza, and I don't believe the MLB minor leagues are a ratings bonanza. It's interesting. It's an opportunity for players who were passed over, of which I'm sure there are many, players who were not given a chance to get another chance or to get a first try here, on top of the fact that you can mix in some of the rule changes that we may be testing out. So, already... There was the 4th and 15, I believe it is, from your own 25, right? Or is it 4th and 25 from your own 15? I believe I might have that jumbled. Either way, it's in lieu of the onside kick. Considering that the onside kick has become even less effective than it used to be, having a play that is more exciting and more readily achievable, you could argue. I mean, we saw a huge third down conversion in the Super Bowl on the sideline to Goddard. Was it a catch? Looked like a catch to me. Some people don't believe it. But something like that in a Super Bowl situation. Just imagine, right? Team's down 10. Let's say Kansas City was down 10 a little bit longer. And instead of 38-35, they were running that last drive on their own just to tie it and go to OT at 35-35, right? Could be interesting to have one big play where Kelsey's going up trying to make a grab rather than, I mean, not trying to knock the special teams here. They're an important part of our game. They're kind of getting legislated out of the game. So if we're going to legislate it out of the game and we're going to put it in a situation where the kicker's got damn near no chance to convert this onside kick anyway, why don't we put the guys making $30 million a year out there on the field and let them get a crack at it? And I don't just mean on the hands team, right? If you take a look on the baseball front, right, you know I love to cross sports over and over. If you take a look, some of the rules being added this season, right, were being tested in the minor leagues, were being tested in independent leagues, pro-am, you know, amateur slash lower professional leagues, the larger bases, the pitch clock, things like that. They've been tested. You need to test these things. It's a billion-dollar product. We can't just do something on the fly and throw it out there and hope that it works. Let's see if it works on a smaller level. So I think this league is important. Will it succeed? I don't know. I think that's really up to us. And by us, I mean you guys. Are you interested? Are you fiending for football to the point where you can see this? Is the product going to be high level enough to where you'll keep tuning in? Because like I said, there are some names you know out there. I believe Martavis Bryant was involved. I believe Vic Beasley might be involved. Their names... Are they the biggest names? Not necessarily. But they're talented, or at least they were, when you saw them on the previous stage. And then we see some players, like P.J. Walker, impress on some of these smaller levels and get a chance on the big stage. And that's really what we love to see, right? You want to see someone get a second chance or a third chance, or quite honestly, their first chance. Because maybe they went to a small school. Maybe they were passed over as a low-level recruit. Maybe they had an injury their third year of college. Maybe they had some weird off-the-field stuff, academic ineligibility. 
it could be interesting. Would I bet on it? Not necessarily. But I'm hopeful that something will come of it. Number five in the standout seven. We'll do a little off-season preview here. Looking at Spot Rack. Actually, we had another one open here. I'll take a look at Spot Rack in a sec. Pro Football Focus Top 100 Free Agent Rankings. I'm not a big PFF guy. I'm really not. So I will say to take this with a grain of salt, but I will go through the top 10, let's say. Number one, Lamar Jackson, obviously. Number two, Geno Smith. Fair. Number three, Javon Hargrave of the Philadelphia Eagles. Good lineman. Number four, Jesse Bates of the Bengals. Could be a big hit for them in their secondary. Number five, Jamel Dean of the Buccaneers. Interesting that he's this high. Number six, Levante David of the Buccaneers, aging linebacker. Number seven, Jacoby Myers of the New England Patriots. Okay. Number eight, Orlando Brown of the Chiefs, formerly of the Ravens as well. Number nine, Deron Payne of the Commanders, defensive lineman. Number 10, Derek Carr at QB. Interesting list to start at the least. Um, if we take a look the good old-fashioned way, spot rack via former AAV of these players, you've got Derek Carr, obviously, Orlando Brown, Tom Brady's listed on here. He's not, you know, he's Tom Brady. Marcus Peters, potentially. Fletcher Cox, I doubt he leaves Philly. Robert Quinn, Brandon Graham, Javon Hargrave, Yannick Ngakwe, right? Pretty good somewhere along the way there, coming off with the year with Indy. Jesse Bates on here as well. Mike Gesicki, known for his dance move. Pretty good tight end out in Miami. Dalton Schultz, decent tight end. Comparable with the Dallas Cowboys. Dalvin Tomlinson, former Giant. Good run stuffer, interior defensive lineman. Bradley Roby, will he move on from New Orleans? Sterling Shepard coming off of the big knee injury. Uh, an aging Rodney Hudson on the offensive line from Arizona. Jadevian Clowney, late career renaissance, question mark. Uh, coming off a year with the Browns. There's some interesting names out there. There really are. Are there game changers? Yeah. Are there players that you're going to build your entire franchise around? I mean, unless you're getting Lamar Jackson, I wouldn't go that far. But there are big pieces available um, going into the offseason this year. Additionally, let's take a quick peek. NFL.com here. Looking at Chad Reuter. This is from a couple of days ago. Three-round NFL mock draft 1.0. I like the way this started. I doubt they'll be able to pull this off realistically. He is projecting that the Chicago Bears will trade down. Okay, breaking news. To number two. The Texans will trade up to one to get Bryce Young. Then he is projecting that the Bears will trade down a second time. The Colts will go at number two and get C.J. Stroud. The Cardinals will take Jalen Carter, D-lineman out of Georgia, at number three. Will Anderson will go to the Bears, finally, at number four. Number five, the Carolina Panthers trading up to get Will Levis. Levis? Levi's? I believe it's Levis. Out of Kentucky. So a run on quarterbacks very quickly. We see that all the time, if we're being honest. The reason I think this is, would be tremendous if you're a Bears fan is because the double trade down is something you can only pull off in video games, I feel like. The double trade down is very impressive because you just rack up the assets, right? You're a, a rebuilding team. You're not a tremendous team if you're the Chicago Bears. Let's be frank. 
What are we doing? Well, we're putting ourselves in a situation to make some picks and change the complexion of our team. We're not taking one guy, right? Will Anderson, good edge rusher. Jalen Carter, good interior D lineman. We're not taking one guy. We're not taking the primo blue chip guy. We're putting ourselves in a position where we can still get a blue chipper. right? Or sorry, they are taking Will Anderson in this projection. They're not taking Jalen Carter, I should have said. You're not taking one guy. You're putting yourself in a position to take on day one, day two, three guys. Four guys, perhaps. If you're really interested, you can trade back into that first round if you really want it. Right? And that's how you turn the team around. Now, obviously, you got to pray. If you are a Bear fan, that you don't bungle up those picks, right? I still see the posts about trading up for Trubisky and Pat Mahomes going number 10. But I think that would be very spicy. I don't think they can pull it off. I'm going to be honest. I, I'm not sure they'll be able to pull it off. Number six in the mock draft here, Christian Gonzalez at corner going to the Detroit Lions. Number seven, Paris Johnson Jr., O-lineman, Ohio State, to the Raiders. Uh, to protect whoever their new QB will be. Number eight, edge rusher Miles Murphy out of Clemson to the Falcons. Number nine, Seattle off of the trade back, taking Tyree Wilson, another edge rusher. Bijan Robinson at 10 to Philly, which is interesting because Miles Sanders is approaching free agency as well. Will they let Miles go? I mean, if that catch would have been a catch fumble in the Super Bowl, I tend to think this would be more likely. I don't see them going running back this high. I mean, I'm not a college football aficionado, but... People talk all the time about, oh, you can't spend money on running backs, so why are we spending a high draft asset like this? Who knows? Uh, Titans going tight end. Dalton Kincaid at number 11. I pick for a tight end, to be quite honest. Number 12, Houston. Kalijah Cansey, D-lineman out of Pittsburgh. And I keep going because I wanted to get to this one. Number 13, he has the New York Jets selecting Anthony Richardson out of Florida. Explosive athleticism, right? I'm not, a, as I've said, an aficionado. I've seen some ups and downs in the trajectory of Anthony Richardson. I think this would be a huge pick. This would be a huge pick. It's, it'd be kind of crazy to me. This would have to be the Jets missing out on, on their QBs, right? They would have to not get Lamar. They would have to not get somebody like Aaron Rodgers, they'd have to not get Derek Carr. And I was listening to Barton Hahn this week, Bart Scott, Alan Hahn, New York ESPN Radio, right? Um, they were discussing the possibility of Derek Carr signing relatively quickly and how that might put the Jets in a pickle if they're holding out for Lamar or if they're holding out for Rodgers. What if Rodgers comes out of his vision quest and he doesn't even want to play football anymore, which I guess is theoretically possible. It is on the table. It's one of the cards. Intriguing to me, to say the least. Um, if they wind up Anthony Richardson, I think they're in a weird spot. Is it going to be Richardson and Wilson? Who's going to win that competition? I don't even know. Um, I'm not sure that bodes well for Robert Sala's job security if they wind up in a spot where they're picking Richardson at 13. Um, either way. Either way. It will be an interesting first round for a lot of these teams. And there's going to be some free agency intrigue, as we've discussed, coming up in the off-season months. But, folks, alas, that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode. Episode number 
163, the end of the 2022-23 season. The next time we talk, we will be 2023-2024. And uh, that's going to be, we're targeting, loosely, the weekend of March 18th, if not March 18th, maybe March 25th. The reason I'm targeting March 18th is because we've got some important dates coming up, right? So, March 13th through the 15th, clubs may enter contract negotiations with impending unrestricted free agents, right? So, we could do free agency pick them the weekend before, but to be quite honest, I think it'd be more interesting to break it down as it's happening. So, we'll go that weekend. Then, obviously, we've got the draft coming up tail end of April. So, we'll go from mid-ish March to probably the end of April. And then, we'll see what we do in May. It could be interesting. Maybe we'll skip a month. I don't know. Off-season schedule. I've said it without saying it, but I'll sum it up for you. Realistically here, we go to a monthly schedule. We go from weekly during the season starting in August to monthly. Once a month, I'll let you know in advance. As I said, we're targeting the weekend for episode number 164 of March the 18th. If it's not the 18th, if you tune in on the 19th and there's nothing, you know what? By all means, then... uh, Come back the next weekend. It'll be tremendous. We'll talk free agency. It'll be exciting. Maybe we'll talk some baseball. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk some some basketball as they push towards the postseason, though that's a ways away. Um, I was thinking of bringing up, you know, it's All-Star Weekend for the NBA, talking about how why don't we have a jump ball competition, kind of like the dunk contest, or a one-handed catch competition, a blindfolded throw. I don't know. They have the quarterback challenge. It's, you know, it just didn't grab me. Once again, I'm not a big... Uh, Pro Bowl guy anyway, so we're not even going to go there. We're going to cut this week's episode short. We're going to jump straight into the offseason. Thank you for joining us. Episode 163 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. Join us again in March, as we said, for the following episode. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you enjoyed the 2022-23 season. Hope you'll join us for 2023-2024. Signing off.